I won't ask you to raise your hand if you have or haven't. Each year I have the same resolution, and that is to lose the five pounds that I gain between Thanksgiving and New Year's Eve. I don't know if you have that problem or not. My wife uh, helped me to find some resolutions from the Internet. Some interesting resolutions here. I will read the instructions before trying to put something together. Uh, she, knew, she knows I need that one. Here's one probably for the teenagers. I promise to clean my room once a week, even if last year I only cleaned it when I had friends over. And then for those of us who are a little bit older, I will never again take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. <laughs> and this, this is one for me. I will try to drive closer to the speed limit. This one, I will use my treadmill for something else than hanging my jacket. Oh, boy. I will eat more nice things like candy, Big Macs, popcorn, and ice cream. I'll eat less crappy things like fresh fruit, vegetables, and soy nuts. I, I, think, I think we'll probably be able to keep that one. I promise to buy a brand new scale because mine keeps reading the same old numbers. <laughs> I'm going on a diet and exer I'll exercise every day. I will definitely lose weight this, oh wait, is that cake? <laughs> I will protect children by not texting on my phone while eating junk food and speeding through crosswalks in school zones while my windshield is covered with frost. Boy, that person has a problem. Eh? Wow. I will drive by the fitness center at least once a week to pay my respects. <laughs> I will learn what the word rec uh, resolution means. <laughs> and finally, this one. This is my New Year's resolution. And that is not to make any resolutions. That way I'm guaranteed to be successful. Well, despite all that, uh, this is the time of the year when we think about new opportunities, new plans, um, a new pathway maybe, or to try something different. So when the pastor asked me to speak, about a couple months ago, he asked me to speak on January the 1st. And I said, but I asked him, what is the text for that day? He said, it's wide open, you choose. So I thought of this open door passage in Revelation chapter 3. Notice verses 7 and 8 as I read them. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I would like to focus on those two verses with the following outline. One, the speaker's person, 
two, the speaker's praise, and three, the speaker's proposal. First then, let's look at the speaker's person. That is, who is this person speaking? Who is this one who says, I have placed before you an open door? Is it God? Is it an angel? A prophet? Or maybe John, the author of the book of Revelation? Well, notice, in verse 7 it says, To the angel of Philadelphia, write. That is, write the following words. So it can't be John, because it's someone speaking to John to write. Okay. Now, in the larger context of the first three chapters, we know that John, the author, is instructed to write to seven churches. And one of those churches is the Church of Philadelphia. And these churches were a part of the... Um, area in the ancient times called Asia Minor. And that area today is the country of what? Anybody know? Turkey, yes. Yeah. And, uh, but again, who is telling John to write the, to these churches? Look at the next sentence. It says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Notice then, that uh, this person is said to be holy and true. Well, the only person who is perfectly holy and perfectly true would be God, right? But then the speaker says he, he holds the key of David. From Isaiah 22, verse 22, we know that the one who has the key of David has the authority over David's kingdom. This sounds kind of messianic, doesn't it? It seems to be reasonable to conclude that the speaker is not only divine, but he is the Messiah, the Christ. But if we go back to chapter 1, we get an even clearer indication of who he is. I would like to read a section from Revelation chapter 1, starting with verse 10. John has identified himself in verse 9, and he says this in verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. 
And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So from this we see that that John was able to see this magnificent heavenly vision of the risen and glorified Christ. That is obviously who was speaking. And Christ himself then says to John, write some things and send, send them to the churches. And so here back in chapter 3, we have a message to the church of Philadelphia. Now, we all know what the name Philadelphia means, right? Um, William Penn, the Quaker Christian, back in the 17th century, um, decided to settle a city, to build a city in uh, Pennsylvania, and he decided to name it Philadelphia. The two Greek words, philia, means love, in the sense of friendship love, as distinct from agape love, of course, and the word adelphos, which means brother. So, love of brother or brotherly love. Now, I was raised in South Jersey, across the Delaware River, about seven miles from Philadelphia. So, for me, when I was a kid, being raised in South Jersey, the big city for me to go to was Philadelphia. Just as those of you in Westchester County, the big city to go to is New York. So we went to Philadelphia, especially when, for Christmas shopping. And I have fond memories of, of um, going to Gimbel's and Wanamaker's and some of those other great department stores in Philadelphia. And the only thing I didn't like about Philadelphia is it didn't have big skyscrapers like New York City. I really wanted that. Um, the tallest building in Philadelphia was City Hall with William Penn's statue on top, 549 feet above Broad and Market Streets. Well, several um, in the 1980s, Philadelphia started to get its skyscrapers, but I already had lived in New York since 1967, so it didn't matter anymore. I was here in New York. Actually, the probably the three... Uh, most known buildings in Philadelphia are Independence Hall, City Hall, and thanks to the Rocky movies, the Art Museum. When, uh, when Barb and I were down in Philadelphia with the young people a few years ago on uh, a week's uh, mission trip, we stopped in front of the Art Museum and the young people got out and they ran up the steps to the top like Sylvester Stallone and, you know, victory, a gesture, that kind of thing. Well, okay, enough about Philly. Our text is about the ancient city of Philadelphia. And uh, do we have the, yeah, if you can see that. Philadelphia, you see Ephesus there. Ephesus was on the Aegean Sea, although that's not, Mark there, the Aegean Sea, and Athens across the sea from Ephesus. And below Asia Minor, of course, is the Mediterranean Sea with Crete and so forth. And Philadelphia was about 80 miles east, northeast of Ephesus. 
Now, um, the Apostle Paul probably never went to Philadelphia. There's no evidence of that. But it's likely that at least some of the people in Ephesus, uh, in Philadelphia, had been influenced by the people that uh, Paul had evangelized during his uh, missionary journeys in Asia Minor. All right, so we know who the speaker is. Let's go on to the speaker's praise. Verse 8, Christ says, I know your deeds. And later in that verse, he says, I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I'm using the word praise here in the sense of um, compliment or commendation. Jesus, the risen Christ, is commending the Philadelphia church for having been faithful and keeping his word and honoring his name. But I find it interesting that he couches this compliment or this praise in the midst of the statement, I know that you have little strength. G.E. Ladd in his commentary on Revelation says, apparently this church was small, poor, and uninfluential. And the term little strength could better be rendered little power. And when I read that, I thought of our church, CBC. We're small, seemingly of little power, not all that influential. I mean, after all, we, we haven't started a spiritual revolution in northern Westchester, have we? But I would like to think that Jesus would say, you have kept my word. I was talking with someone recently who has been attending church for a while, but when she first comes, she was a little skeptical of our church because of the name, Community Bible Church. And I had to admit to her that um, the word Bible Church sometimes conveys the idea of a fundamentalist church with a lot of do's and don'ts, and uh, a strict interpretation of every passage of Scripture which everybody should believe in, this sort of thing. And she said as she attended our church uh, for a while, she began to realize that we weren't like that. And I admitted to her that some people have questioned whether we should change the name or not. And I explained to her that even though we're not fundamentalists in that strict sense of the term, our church does have a very high view of the authority of Scripture and that our ministry is thoroughly biblically centered as well as Christ-centered. I mean, think about our pastor who spends many hours and takes great pains of study doing a thorough exegesis of each passage he's going to preach on to try to bring out the historical, cultural context of the passage and then to bring out its message, its theological truth, and, and then to challenge us to apply that teaching of the scriptures to our 21st century lives. And think about our Sunday schools and small groups throughout the week that focus on the various books and passages of the Bible as to what the Bible teaches. The truth of the matter is that not many churches, particularly in the New York area, or there are many churches in the New York area, that do not have that emphasis. 
And so as I studied this passage in Revelation and heard the words of commendation from the mouth of the risen Lord, I thought of CBC. We're an imperfect church, aren't we, in many ways, like every other church. But I think the church has done a fairly good job of keeping Christ's word and honoring his name. And that brings me then to the third place, in the third place, to the speaker's proposal. In verse 8, the Lord says to the Philippian church, to the Philadelphian church, I had her cue me. When I say Philippian church, go, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> says to the Philadelphian church, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Now, what is this open door that he is talking about? Well, if you look at the passage, it's not clear. He doesn't really say specifically. But there are two basic interpretations. One view is that the open door refers to an opportunity for missionary activity or some special ministry. As Ladd says, though uh, the thought may well be that though the church is small and weak, Christ has set before her a great opportunity to make the gospel known. And this would fit with the way the Apostle Paul uses the term in uh, Colossians 4 3, where he says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And in Acts 14 27, Paul speaks of how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. The other interpretation of the open door is that Christ is referring to the door he has opened for all who through him will enter into the true kingdom of God. It is he who possesses the key to the kingdom promised to David. It's not the Jewish synagogue, but it's he who possesses this. And Christ Jesus alone can open the door. So he may be... He may be saying, in contrast to what he says in verse 9 about the synagogue of Satan and about those who claim to be Jews and who aren't, as Robert Mount says, if Christ, he, Christ, reminds the Christians at Philadelphia who may have been excommunicated from the local synagogue that he has placed before them an open door into the eternal kingdom and no one can shut it. So... Even though the Christians at Philadelphia may have been shut out of the synagogue and there's evidence that they were being persecuted by the Jews. Christ has opened this door for the Philadelphian Christians. A door open to the true kingdom of the true God for all who come through Christ. So... I'm not dogmatic as to which of those two interpretations is the right one, but I do see an application of each one of them to us as a congregation here at CBC. And to those of us who, by faith in Christ, have entered the kingdom, I raise this question. Might God be opening a door for you in 2017 for doing something for him you have not done before? Seems to me this is a question we can ask on January 1st. It could be any number of things. It could be something educational. Maybe this is a year for you to finish college. Or maybe 
Maybe you should take a course that you've always wanted to take. Or maybe God is opening a door to another place or another type of work from what you've been doing. Or maybe this is the time to begin learning that musical instrument you always wanted to play. (laughs) Or maybe you even have played an instrument in the past and are out of practice and now this is the time to take it up again. Perhaps to help us with the praise band, huh? Or with this little orchestra that I direct once in a while. But regarding an open door for ministry, our church has several outreach opportunities. And uh, Barb and I agreed I would uh, make my message shorter than average. And uh, we could have some spokespersons from some of these outreaches to uh, give us a quick picture of what each opportunity is about. She asked each one for a 60-second limit. All right, so we will see how well they do with that. But at any rate, we're going to have several people come forward now and give us a quick spot announcement, so to speak. The first one is the Hillside Food Outreach, and Liz Caniglio is going to tell us about that. I'm in the Hillside Food uh, Outreach Ministry. I never thought of it as a ministry. I know that, um, or did you know, there are many people that are in need of food. I didn't realize how many people needed food. And um, they had asked, the church had asked if someone would uh, help. And so I decided, and I I started with Joe and Sharon, and and we used to go to all these families. And I got to know some of these families. And and what struck out, stood out to me was how close this is to me. I mean, I could be in this situation where I need food. And um, there's a big need. Uh, There's a big need for people... uh, for food, that need food. And, and there's a warehouse. You go to the warehouse. It's packed with food, and you pick up the food. And all you have to do is pick up the food and deliver it and and be surprised at uh, the people you meet. And, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Help. Thank you, Liz. And next on my list is the Jan Peak Ministry, and uh, Lee and or Chris uh, King will come in. Lee will come and talk about that. Hello? I was only given 45 seconds, so I don't know what that means in terms of priority. Um, Gen Peak is a uh, Westchester-based um, outreach in terms of uh, transitional housing and, uh, and, and help or support. So people who – it's not a homeless shelter as you would consider a normal homeless shelter – but rather it's a shelter in which people who are homeless can now transition into and have assistance to become um, residents in Westchester. And so people are able to be there for a short term or up to about three months. And so uh, this organization uh, is uh, 
very minimally funded. It is um, something that is constantly looking to get support. And the people who are there uh, are there 24-7 until they get the right kinds of support, uh, resources, et cetera. And so they are there. They provide a place to stay, and they provide meals. So they have to eat three meals a day typically. So um, as you can see, if you're limited on funds, uh, they, they said if they were to order out for the group for one day, one meal, it would probably cost about $200 or so. And so any time that people can come and help them uh, supplement the meal, then they're probably very open to that. Um, just to give you a quick reason why we're involved is a, a small group of friends, um, we who share a common faith, uh, we just love food. And so we would get together in order to enjoy a meal together. And as we did so, we thought, you know, this is great for us, but, you know, shouldn't we do it more for other people than just ourselves? And so we thought, what's a way that we could put our passions together, of our love for food, and getting together as friends, and displaying or trying to live out our Christian faith? And so Jan Peaky became one of those focal points. And so what we do is we just get together once a month. Um, I hate to say that we only do this um, from, like, April through December. Uh, so I'm telling you about it, but we're not going to do anything ourselves for the next three months, which, which might be a great opportunity for you to get involved over these three months. If you want to, you can talk to my wife, Chris, and she could hook you up to the scheduling. And it's just a matter of providing a meal. Um, we want to take a moment to say thank you for the contributions that you gave for uh, Christmas gifts. Uh, before the holidays, we were there, and we were able to distribute them, the gloves and the scarves and the hats. Um, happened to be the day that the weather plummeted to, like, in the 20s, and so every resident that received the gift of that uh, immediately put them on and loved them. So uh, they wanted to make sure that we say thank you to you for your generosity. Okay, we have a nursing home outreach, too, and Peter Corfield is going to tell us about that. For many years, a small group has gone from CBC to lead a service every month at Cedar Manor Nursing Home. It's pretty good because we're on their list of um, residential activities, so we're kind of official. Um, we go the third Sunday of the month, usually, and there's been in recent months 20 residents, plus helpers, family members, the nurse, four, five, six of us. And we're able to share the gospel through singing many hymns and through a short message. It lasts about 35 or 40 minutes. We always welcome people to come and help us with the singing and talking to the residents. And uh, many of the residents still come even though they can't speak English. And I'm not very good at Italian or Spanish. <laughs> I do my best. Um, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I got a call saying that one of the residents was dying and the family wanted a priest to come and do the last absolution. I explained I couldn't do that. But the, um, and I just, at that moment, couldn't go. But I said, they said, well, no one else is able to go. I, no one else has called us back. And I said, well, I'll come and I'll pray. And I did. The family had left by then, and there was this dying person whom we both know. And... Uh, 
I knelt and prayed for half an hour, and I was much moved when the nurse said the family had to leave, but they know, they know you were coming. So I felt we were part of that family. I love doing the ministry. I'd love to see any of you who could help just once or twice. And Jillian Corfield is going to come and talk briefly about two things, Vacation Bible School, of course, and Women to Women. <laughs> so, um, in the summer, we have this amazing program which involves so many people in the church, people from the youngest to the oldest, people who work, who take time off,